This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. What is your background? I'm a farmer. I farm subtropical fruits, mostly macadamias, avocados, in uh, the Tanin area. I'm very much involved in organized agriculture. I'm the chairman of SAI, our network for family farmers, uh, in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. We are also the biggest representative of Zimbabwean farmers in the world, um, literally in the world, because most of them are today in Canada, New Zealand, Australia, all over the place, Zambia. Um, and for, for the last five years, until last year, I was the president of the World Farmers Organization. In South Africa, how is a farmer defined? A farmer is somebody who makes a living from the soils. You know, a farmer is not old or young, rich or poor, black or white, a newcomer or well-established. A farmer is somebody who makes his living from the soil. And in South Africa, that is more than 98% still family-based. Our farming system is pretty much still family-based. It's, it's, it's important because a, a family on a farm is different from a family in the city. Family on a farm live much closer to each other. It's a much closer knit entity. They still eat together. They share responsibility in a business. A family farm um, has it horizon much further than this generation. There's always, every day in the life of a family farmer, there's this dimension in which you work towards your children and your grandchildren. A family farm is not inherited from your parents, it's borrowed from your children. There's something of passing on the land, the, the family name as a brand, a presence in a value chain, expertise and experience, equipment, capital. And especially in the industry in which I am in, where, where we work with trees, you know, the trees which my workers planted yesterday will only be harvested in 2032 for the first time, the macadamias. The, the eucalyptus trees will only be harvested in 25 years from now. And if you are not certain that you will be around to harvest from it, why would you plant it? In South Africa, Theo, how many farmers are there? There are around 2.2 million people who, whose livelihood is vested in the soils of which the vast majority are subsistence farmers, smallholders, communal farmers, peri-urban farmers, working towards markets on street corners, the informal sector. But there are about 32,000 commercial farmers, and that anchors our food security. It anchors our food system. They produce the the food which we buy from shops in the cities. Um, more or less 60%, 62% of our population have been urbanized and they are dependent on shops for, for, for their food. And that number is rapidly growing. We, we are really facing uh, an explosion of urbanization in South Africa. And if you travel the rural spaces on your, on your route to the Kruger Park, you would have driven through small towns, Litsitele, Gravelot, Rubbervale. They used to be thriving towns once, but they, they, there is no longer a church or a, a school or a and if one of those disappear, a farm, a, a town topples over. The Lataba district where I farm has become a battlefield of towns which have fallen over. The Karoo has become a battlefield of ghost towns. Um, 
and and it happens because you we, we, we no longer have enough family farms around those towns to keep them alive it's not enough to have the farmers you need young farmers you need farmers who still have children in a primary school to keep a town alive and a town a small town is the the first point in the downstream value chain that's where the pack houses that's where the transport collect your produce to take it to the market that's where the auction is that's where you go to buy your seed your fertilizer your spare parts for your tractor and if not enough people do that if the church closes down and you need to go to the next bigger town to go to church you would also buy your groceries there and more and more of the foundation of your nearest town will be eroded so we believe not all of us me and i i believe a majority of commercial farmers in south africa firmly believe that it is still possible to scrum back against this force of urbanization if enough young people will find agriculture attractive again if the brightest young minds would choose agriculture as a career I believe we can save our small towns again. One of the biggest driving forces against us is the issue of safety. People leave their farms and they go to, to live in towns or they would rather live in cities where it is safer because of this phenomenon we have of farm attacks. Mm. You say that farming, a lot of it is to do with family. Has that changed in some way? From a global perspective, and I had the opportunity to visit 86 countries over the last five years and visit the farmers in those countries. From a global perspective, yes, big farmers are growing bigger all the time and smaller farmers drop out of the industry. But lately, we have seen this phenomenon of corporatization of primary production. Big companies take over farms. Bill Gates bought more than 2 million hectares of farmland to farm yellow beans. And the smaller family farmer cannot compete against that. You see, when a big corporation starts to farm, in our context in South Africa, if Senbes or AFGRI would start to farm in competition with their clients, it's not possible to compete against the guy from whom you buy all your inputs and who buys your products to put it into silos or whatever kind of storage. Um, but these big companies and mega farmers, they do not support the local lawyer in the small town the local bookkeeper. They go to the cities. They use the big legal firms and the auditing firms. They don't buy their fertilizer or their agrochemicals from the local agent. They go directly to the manufacturer because they can buy with the benefit of the economy of scale. And this is when small towns start to struggle. So, yes, Families are under pressure. Um, if a farm is not profitable, if it is not sustainable, if there is not enough efficiency, efficiency in the value chain so that you can sell your products and get your money in time to pay your loan if the banks no longer um, give you credit for, for, for production purposes, and with us, you know what happened to land bank. We all know that the commercial banks have actually stepped a few yards away from, from, from primary agriculture. It becomes tough. And then youngsters would feel that they have better options in a career in the city. Just for clarity, the majority of South African farmers are white. Is that correct? 
No, the, the majority of commercial farmers are white, yes. So commercial farmers are those who make profits from their farms um, and who pay tax because of that. So they are part of our, our systems. The 2.2 million I refer to, they are also farmers. They also keep some cattle and some goats, maybe a few pigs and chickens. They also plant some maize, mostly with a hand hoe. Um, but they do not um, they do not produce into a value chain and ends up in a competitive marketing environment. Um, they, they will never be exporters because of the standards of products. Their produce would not land on the formal fresh produce markets. Um, it might at best end up in some way into the uh, processing value chains. Um, but but very limited. The reason why I ask is obviously because of the problem of farm attacks, which is overwhelmingly against white farmers. Yes, it's not only white farmers who are victims, but overwhelmingly um, white farmers are attacked. The phenomenon of farm attacks really came onto our radar or stuck its head above the, the surface um, around the early 1990s. But at the time, our farming communities, our rural communities were very well organized, both in terms of farmers associations covering the whole of the country, every corner of it, and also in terms of a commando system, every district had its commando. Those commandos organized the farmers um, in arms. You had a uniform. You got into the commando because you were trained through the national service um, system. You had a hierarchy. You had senior officers and you had um, men in boots on the ground. You could deploy in a very short space of time anywhere and you could close off an area. But you were in service of the state the moment you put your uniform on. You acted on behalf of the state. And that suppressed the rampant crime and especially the farm attacks and the farm murders up to the early 2000s. Then these commandos were all disbanded when Tabu Mbeki was, was president. Um, Musiwe Lekota at the time was the Minister of Defense and it was under him that um, they, they monitored very strictly the disbandments of the commandos. And since then, these farm attacks skyrocketed. At the time, we really wrestled with government and said, what about rural safety? And the promise was that simultaneously, um, a police reserve system would be put in place and those who were members of the commando would simply be moved over to become police reserves. It never happened. And up to today, it did not happen. One of the biggest problems it poses for us as the farmers is when we do our patrols at night, and we, we all do that, when we have our farm watches, especially when we act, when we arrest somebody, when we chase out to a farmer in distress. We are not in service of the state. We are private citizens trying to protect ourselves. Which means, on the legal side, we are on our own. And in the confrontation situation, we are most often 
in confrontation with the perpetrators and the police on the other side. The police is not always on our side, and we've seen it in the last week when two women farmers were arrested for having done a private arrest on stock thieves, livestock thieves, and they've spent a few nights in jail. The police had the capacity to take 13 policemen heavily armed to their farm, but they did not have the capacity to act against the two stock thieves. So since then, we had to organize our safety by ourselves, and it's a very expensive thing to do. Now, we are talking tonight about farm attacks, but much more common than farm attacks is farm theft. I do not know a farm from Cape Town to Messina or from Durban to Port Norleth that has not fallen victim to theft on the farms. Whether it is copper cables, whether it's livestock, whether it is grain on the fields, fruits, batteries, tractors, whatever there is on a farm is vulnerable to theft. And it's impossible to farm by day and guard your farm by night. Most of us appoint private security companies or get in guards during harvest time because that's when you are most vulnerable. But we are doing government's job, the most core function of government, the protection of the lives and the goods of its citizens. We are doing it for ourselves. And I can tell you, it is pretty tough to do government's job without government's income. Farming is not an easy job. Nowhere in the world where we compete for spaces on shelves and shops, do we compete with farmers who are facing the same challenges as we are? We have the same droughts and floods. We have the same problems with markets. We have the same crises with crop protection. All the, the forces of nature against whom you, against which you, you, you must produce. But on top of that, we also have this crisis with farm safety, theft, and of course, attacks. And on top of that, we also have this constant threats of expropriation without compensation. And don't underestimate the link between the latter two. Why did the government disband the commando setup? It's hard to say, probably because it was also still mostly white. The commandos was well-trained soldiers. They might have feared a kind of a military takeover or something. Um, they might have feared the growing tension between the police and the commandos, especially in incidences of farm murders. I remember so well in the early 2000s, I was then a, a young new farmer in the Trigarsdal district. And um, I remember the farm murders in our farmers association those days, us rushing there, meeting outside the gates of this farm, the police would also be there. And our approach to this and that of the police were very much different. So who takes responsibility? Who takes command and control in that situation? Um, and of course, as farmers, we are highly emotional about it. It's one of us who was just murdered on this farm. Um, and we have much more capacity than the police has. Each one of us have a few vehicles, probably more than the local police station. We can get much more firearms in the field, 
in, in within, within an hour or so than the police can. And I think it is this growing tension that um, made the government decide to disband the commanders. Although the commanders was under the control of the defense force. It was part of our national defense force. Is there uh, some sort of private replacement of the commandos? Yes, yes. Um, of course, we have a very comprehensive network of private security companies today. We, whose capacity um, exceeds that of the police multiple times. I don't think South Africa can function without those anymore. But apart from that, just in our network in SAI, um, along with our network partners such as AfriForum, NIASA, TAU, we have a, a 168 farm watches. Then AgriSA also has a number of farm watches. I don't know how many they, that they have organized, but there are also a number of them who are not linked to any specific organization. And we are, we are trying now to link everyone up. We all have radio systems. We call each other at night just to hear whether you are still there and whether you're okay. Make sure that the, the radios work so that if anything would happen, it would be possible to call each other on the radio. And if anybody would not respond, there would be somebody to, get, to go out and see why there was no response. And many of us put radios in the police office. Our branch in, in, in um, Langsburg, in the Karoo, have just put a radio in the police station because they don't have one, and so that they can hear the the, the traffic um, between the farmers. We all have set up cameras, camera systems, and that cost a pretty penny. But today, rural South Africa is well covered with camera systems which belongs to farmers associations or farm watches. And we can see a vehicle coming in and going out of our area again. We are now trying um, to link up these camera systems too, because a camera system is worth nothing if you do not have a, a pair of eyes looking at the screen somewhere, monitoring those systems. And then um, some of us do have emergency centers. Um, in our network, we have two of those, 24-7 and 365 days a year. There would be somebody who would be able to respond and to call the closest farm watches in the area to, to take command and control and cordon off a certain valley or, or, or an area. Um, some of us even have trauma counseling capacity. Um, and then lately we have started to equip our farm watches with drone technology. And we make it available to the police all over South Africa because the police does not have it at the moment. But we train these drone operators. We, we equip them with camera systems. And when there is an incident, we, we can get the drones in the air. And, and, and this has kind of taken over the functions of the commanders. But government does not have handles on those. Mm. And I have a sense that government is irritated by it. How many farm attacks are there on average per year? And you said earlier that since the commander system was disbanded, farm attacks uh, rocketed. Since, since the early 2000s when the commanders were disbanded, for the last two decades, we had on average a farm attack every second day and a farm murder every fifth day. So on average, around um, 180, 190 farm attacks. 
and we are very strict in categorizing it as a farm attack. It must be on a farm or a small holding. It must be uh, an attack on either workers, guests, or the farming family itself. Um, an incident on a farm is not just a farm attack. There must be a deliberate targeted attack before we categorize it as such. And then on average, we have around 65 to 75 farm murders. Sometimes it drops, I think it dropped uh, two, three years ago to uh, 49, but then it can shoot up again into the 90s on average around 70 per year. That's every fifth day. Is that by international standards very high? Very, very high. Yeah, we had the, the, the World Farmers Organization's conference in Sun City in May this year. And it's hard to explain to farmers' organizations elsewhere in the world what farm attacks and farm murders are about. They simply don't have it. The Scandinavian countries don't know it. Europe doesn't know it. And is the nature of farm attacks very violent? Jeremy, since last weekend, with the chanting of kill the farmer, kill the boer at the EFF's 10th birthday celebrations, all hell break loose on social media, also on conventional media, as you've seen, even Elon Musk, Donald Trump joined in again in this debate. And you have thousands of people on Twitter or Facebook who would say South Africa has a general problem with crime. We do have one of the highest murder rates in the world. So what makes farm murders so special? We have 60 murders a day in South Africa. So why would we put special emphasis on the 70 farmers a year? Um, and in television shows over the last week, this was the very first argument in every debate on this topic. I want to say to you categorically tonight that farm murders are different. There are three reasons, or yeah, three, three, the three most important reasons. There are other reasons too. Three most important reasons why they are different. The first one is in the run-up to these murders. You do not have anyone calling for the murders on the Cape Flats in gangster violence. No one instigates violence against women and children. You have this instigation with farmers. You have the singing, kill a farmer, kill a boer. You have a political leaders who say, we have not called for the genocide of farmers yet. But we Manila. cannot guarantee that we will not do it in future. No other group of victims of violence must live under that, under those kind of threats. So this already makes farm murders different. There's a climate that's being created to which is conducive. To farm murders and there's no consequences for those who create that climate not even our courts up to now the equality court and the human rights commission both ruled that it's okay to sing killer farmer killer boy and Every time we saw a judgment like this, and every time Malema sings it again, you see a spike 
inform murders immediately in the week or two after it. We will be back in court. Actually, one of our networking partners, Afri Forum, is driving this case um, in the, the Court of uh, Appeal on the 4th of September. And we firmly believe that it will be possible to overturn that ruling. The second big difference in farm murders is how it happens. No other group of victims of murders in South Africa are so commonly tortured in the run-up to the murder. The brutality, it is absolutely horrible. When people are being murdered on the Cape Flats or in deep rural areas in violence against women and children, the children are not forced to watch as they torture dad or rape mom. They would not use a steel drill to put it through the kneecaps of Omar or slit Opa's throat in front of the rest of the family, as it happens with farm murders. There's no, there's nothing compared to the brutality, the torture, the violence, the amount of blood spilled on a murder scene as you have in farm murders. I so wish I could take the Minister of Law and Order and the Minister of Justice and all those activists who claim that farm murders is nothing special. I so wish I could take them once with me to visit a farm murder scene. Want them to smell it, to see that blood. I want them to, to, to speak to the remaining family and tell them that this is nothing special. Because once you have experienced that, nothing in this debate is ever the same afterwards. And thirdly, after these murders, there is with no other category of victims of murders where you have this applause on social media. Only today on my Twitter account, there were more than a hundred Twitterati who said, you deserve it. It's because of ill treatment of your workers. Give us back the land or it will not stop. Yeah, this is a revenge for apartheid. We need more of it. Of course, most of it are bots. Don't underestimate the EFF's bot brigades on social media. Not real people, not real names. People will, which will come with arguments of only 70 murders per year. How many farm workers are being killed on farms? Well, the difference between farm workers killed on farms by farmers and farm murders is the farms, the farmers who are murdered have names, dates, places, case numbers at the police. They are real. There is nothing like what farmers are being accused of, especially on Twitter, that is remotely comparable to what's happening to farmers. So these are the, the three main differences between farm murders and other murders, which deserves special attention to this phenomenon. Why are farmers so hated? Who is, who is hating them so much? You know, we know who the, who the victims are, but who are the perpetrators? It's always, it's always the, the EFF type black minority. You see, on social media, the accusation is that it's foreigners. 
and there are foreigners involved. It's so. Some of them are Zimbabwean, Mozambican, Basutu, but not nearly the numbers which are local. Others would say it's farm workers. You know, it's a slap in the face of a modern farm worker to want to believe that this is the way in which they would air their grudges if they have an objection to their working conditions or they feel that they've not been paid properly. You, you, you don't murder your employer as brutal as that. But that working relations on farms are so poor is an absolute fallacy. We live in a free country. If you're not satisfied with your working conditions, you can go and work somewhere else. Nothing keeps you on a farm. Farm work is hard work. And different to any other sector of the economy, farmers and their workers stay together on the same yard. You don't close your workplace in the late afternoon and go home and come back tomorrow, lock it open again. You are there 24-7. You live together. On my farm, if one of my workers' wives are sick, we all know it. It affects us all. There's no one else to take her to hospital. And you can no longer take them to a state hospital. It costs you a lot to take care of the medical health of, of your workers too. The children are going to the same schools these days. You travel together. Farm workers often come with farming families for generations. You often find that those who work for you today, their parents used to work for your parents. Their grandparents used to work for your grandparents. They are professional farm workers. And the farm worker today is not somebody you just recruit from the street. A modern tractor driver needs much more skills than a truck driver. Because you have much more than just GPS. You have artificial intelligence today in a modern machine. You have the Internet of Things. A tractor speaks to its plow, to its planter, to its harvester. And the modern tractor driver need to have all those digital skills to be the operator of that machine and to service that machine. A modern farm worker is scarce. Farmers steal them from one another by offering them better wages. You don't just recruit somebody from the street to, to operate your very expensive equipment. This is why agriculture is not really unionized. The unions in agriculture are very, very weak. There's not much space for a trade union in the relationship between farmers and their farm workers because they are much closer to each other. And yes, farm wages is low. Farm incomes is often very low. But farm workers live from the farm as much as the farmer himself lives from the farm. Farm workers never go hungry because there's always food there. You don't need that much as you would need traveling to your workplace, having to buy lunch or breakfast or dinner. On a farm, it works differently. So it's not the farm workers. Here and there, we did have in instances where farm workers were involved, but it's really very rare. Who are they? Most often, they come from outside. They come from cities. They are well-trained gangs. Very often, 
they have some form of military or police training. They have complicated equipment, jammers, to make it difficult for a farmer to, to call somebody, equipment to cut through electric fences. They plan these attacks with military precision. So the hatred you are speaking of is a hatred amongst a small group the 20% of the bell, the 10% of the bell curve who thrives on blaming somebody else for your woes. And let's be frank, the EFF's constituency is mostly the disappointed, disgruntled, younger part of society who have promised the sun and the moon and the stars we had all these expectations that they would have a good life in South Africa. But because of poor governance, we have one of the highest unemployment rates in the world. And they cannot find a proper life. And they need somebody to blame. So blame those who do own something. Farmers have land and equipment. Blame them. This is why you will see most of social media comment, comments which applauses farm murder say, but you stole the land from us. But at this date, I had this land and your family came and took it from me. Of course, it did not happen. This narrative of stolen land, which was has also driven the the fast-track land reform program in Zimbabwe and which got that country to its knees up to the point that there's no livelihoods for Zimbabweans in Zimbabwe. And the Zimbabweans are scattered all over the world because they cannot educate their children and they cannot take their sick to a hospital anymore in their, 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 their home countries. It all started with the same narrative. Somebody stole the land. Let's take it back violently and look where it landed, that country. How many farm attacks do you think, Theo, are coordinated or are they just all random? I think there is some kind of coordination. Um, it is no longer so um, relevant to the land reform program, the land claims program, but there was a time between 2004 and 2011 where we saw a spike in farm attacks immediately after the gazetting of land claims. So this was a kind of a way to recruit willing sellers. Then no one will challenge the validity of, of, of the land claim. We saw that in Machubaskloof, in Muketsi, in Palabora, in Woodspray. Um, there are gangs who attack farms where you can see the same modus operandi, um, especially in hotspots such as Mulder's Drift, the Bonacord area north of Pretoria, um, lately even in the Western Cape around Paul. Um, it's it's the same way they, they, they get access to the farms. It's the same way they approach the house. Um, there are farm attacks like we've had this week where after the brutality, nothing is stolen. They did not even take the firearm from the hands of one of the victims this uh, this week the father was was shot with an AK-47 as he got out of his vehicle to protect his wife and his his, his children at the back on the back seat the, the, the two small girls and the mom was um, hit in the back she is still in intensive care but they did not even bother to take the firearm from his hands they left the farm without taking anything 
one gets the impression that it is murder for the sake of murder. Murder for, for the pleasure of it, nothing else. Um, and I think it is when you have these gangs involved that there's a, a kind of a coordination. Um, we are busy with some research on what drives these farm attacks, who are they? And uh, I do not want to jump the gun because the results are not finished. But up to now, it is actually interesting to see how many people, how many farm attackers were out on parole. They served the sentence, comes out and then get involved in farm attacks. I think this is one of the areas where we can give special attention in trying to combat it in future. What is the government's position? Well, government believes that it is no special category. This is why the president could say in 2018 in New York um, at, at, at the General Assembly of the United Nations when he was asked about it, he said there, are, there is no such a thing as farm attacks. They, they do not deny that farmers are being attacked. They deny that there is a political angle to it, that this is a special category. So although no one in government up to now responded to our arguments on why farm murders is a special category, the, 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 the three arguments I've just given to you, no one has responded to these arguments. They just turn a blind eye to it. And only 16% of these cases have been solved up to now. So we do not count on government to be of any kind of assistance. When they are, when the criminal justice system does solve our problem in a certain case, for us it's a bonus. We don't bargain on that. I think farmers understand across our country that um, they are the first line of defense. What really matters when it happens to you is that in that moment, you can keep your family safe. In that moment, your firearm must be loaded and be with you. And in the next few minutes, until your nearest neighbors can reach you and until you can make alarm, it is you and them. And then after that, it is the local farm watch. And after that, it's the private security company. And then if the police comes, and there are wonderful policemen who has done miracles to solve some of these cases. But alas, it's few and far between. So state involvement, especially because of the government's position on it, is not something we put our faith in or we rely on. Now, you were referencing Julius Manema and the EFF rally. What happened in the aftermath of that rally? That very next day, we had a very brutal farm murder. Um, on the Monday, another one. Um, and then on, on Wednesday, we discovered a body which was probably already murdered Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, the brutality of attacks over the last 10 days, I cannot describe it. Mostly old people, eh? It's mostly old people. The 75-year-old Omar, who was beaten up on a small farm outside Mbombela two days ago, they smashed her face. They knocked out her teeth. You see how the eyes, the, the arms, the hands, the legs are swollen. It's not... 
it's not as if you will see this in any other category of murders that old people are tortured in this way. Sure. On one of the farm murders, um, the perpetrators stole the vehicle of the wife. She survived. She's still in intensive care. Uh, and then they they crashed the car. Um, and they were teenagers, between 16 and 19 years old, directly after that EFF rally. And so it's, it's children, man. And uh, the man's throat was slit in front of his wife after he had been beaten up with iron bars. I was pleasantly surprised when I saw Elon Musk tweeting about it. And he seems quite angry because he has tweeted a few times about it. What has been the international response? And before I let you answer that, I saw a New York Times piece that was absolutely abysmal in that it said that people should uh, should stop talking about it. It's basically just a metaphor. Kill the boer, kill the farmer. It's just poetry. Yes, but it was only the New York Times. And Elon Musk also lashed out at the New York Times about it. In the rest of the world, we, we had responses from more than 100 countries. This week, we were very busy with embassies, with foreign media, um, the Australians, the Swiss, Danish. It doesn't matter what uh, a judge said in the Equality Court, and it doesn't matter what the Human Rights Commission said about it, globally, the moral high ground is on our side. The rest of the world cannot understand that anyone could try to justify singing a song, kill the farmer, kill the boy, especially not in an environment as violent as ours in South Africa. It is not only the courts, the fact that President Ramaphosa is silent about it. The total lack of leadership within government is not, not even because they don't do anything about it, because they just don't say anything about it. I think that is clearly appalling to, to, to the rest of the world. Elon Musk also referred to it. The rest of the world ask, what kind of leaders do you have? And Jeremy, that is at the very core of our problem. South Africa does not have that many resources anymore, but our scarcest resource is leadership with integrity. We don't have it. And this is why crime is rampant. And this is why a phenomenon like farm murders is running away in, 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 in numbers. We don't have the leadership to stop it. Why do you think South African mainstream media is so dismissive. I don't think it is um, it is fair to make such a, a sweeping statement because it's not all media. On social media, at least, uh, we report as farmers on everything. When there's a farm murder, the world knows it. In Afrikaans media, you will read about it, especially on your, in your local papers and in the, your regional papers. Um, and we get proper coverage twice a year when we uh, speak about the, the, the latest figures on farm murders. What bothers us is the English media. They don't report it. 
And because they don't report it, the rest of the world cannot read it. The rest of the world does not read Afrikaans. So when you speak, and I've done it, I've spoken in front of the United Nations about it, the Commissioner of Food Security, the Food and Agriculture Organization, the International Fund for, for Agricultural Development. I spoke about it at the World Economic Forum. I, touch wood, I have not slipped an opportunity to put the plight of the Zimbabwean farmers who lost their land and the farm murders, to put it in, in the international spotlight while I was the president of the World Farmers Organization. But then you have to explain it because it is hard to refer them to sources because it's not being reported in the English media. And then I blame English journalists. And when you speak to them, they say, but we have this general problem of murder. We cannot report on every murder. Hence, um, social media and plat platforms like yours is of so much value. It is a way to communicate it to the world out there that there is a real problem here. I've been to Rwanda a few times. I go two, three times a year to Germany. Whenever you speak about a genocide, like the million Tutsis who was murdered by the Hutus, or the Jews who were murdered by the Nazis, the people who are there in those countries, especially the old people, would say to you, this is how it starts, by name-calling, by creating this climate in which it is okay to talk about the extinction of, of a group of people. This is how it starts. And you must kill it there. The turnaround does not happen when the spark hits the gunpowder. You must stop it before then. This is nothing short of a crime against humanity. So where to from here, Theo? What do we do? How do we push back? Well, first and foremost, the most important thing is on the ground where it happens. Every farmer owes it to every other farmer in South Africa to get involved in the local security structures. Your security will cost you more than just the money. It will cost you your time and your effort. If you are young and strong, in our valley, those under, under 40 or 45, they go out on patrol at night and they safeguard our area. Farmers must be part of a safety plan. They must know if something happens, this will be my role. I must close this road or I must go to that area, even if it is to take some bandages and water. Everybody must get involved. But more than that, we need better coordination. And, and on the 19th of September, all the organizations in our country who have boots on the ground and who have structures, farm watches and fire equipment, the fire protection associations, um, those who have camera systems, radio systems, we, we will gather in Pretoria to see how we can better integrate our capacity, how we can stretch what we already have to provide better protection. But then we need to push government to do its part. And on government's part, there are three things which are of paramount importance. You see, government, the state, cannot fulfill its duty until government recognizes the problem. We must get government to recognize the problem. And from there, the least they can do is to implement 
a rural safety plan on which we already had four or five agreements. The first one was when we disbanded the commando systems and they promised to put the res police reserve in its place so that you can act on behalf of the state when you go out on a, a patrol or on a farm watch. But then we need a special task force, not in the police only, not in the military only, a multi-departmental task force, including the intelligence from where one could coordinate both the information about it, um, analyze the data, mobilize a task team, mobilize the resources and the equipment to make sure that you can actually act. And then we need much better monitoring of the criminal justice system. Let me tell you, if it was not for a private prosecution authority like that of Harry Nels, we would have been in dire straits. We, we, we keep on pushing and pushing and pushing government to act against those who are being arrested and to keep a watch in the prosecution process too. But then to get government to recognize it and to actually do something, we need more pressure on it. They're not going to do it by themselves. We need to raise awareness locally and abroad. We need those articles, those news clips in the English media too. We need more of what you are doing tonight by giving us a platform to raise this issue and to, to put our part of the story out there. The more people know about it, the more pressure we can mount against government to actually move on it. Although, in my personal capacity, I cannot speak here for my organization. I have very, very little trust in government that this government will really make a difference. We need to change that. We, we've put a lot of hope in a dispensation after a next election. At least if there's a, a government, a coalition government or something, that there would be someone different than an ANC cadre to oversee rural safety. On the battleground of the information war, you're standing looking out at the horizon. What is it that you see? Jeremy, we live in paradise. There's no country like this one. <laughs> I don't want my children to inherit any, anything else than a future in this country. And I see a better South Africa. Not because our government is suddenly going to, to perform better. Because of the way South Africans on grassroots level started to take ownership of the problem and of the solution. Now they've decided to do it themselves with or without government. And how they are outperforming government on its home field when it comes to service delivery. And that is forging a special bond between ordinary South Africans, which you don't see anywhere else. I'll never forget, I once walked into a farmer's uh, meeting in London, British Farmers Organization, the, 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 the National Farmers Union. And this farmer's leader said to me, or when he introduced me, he said, this guy is from South Africa, and you know, in their communities, they fix their own potholes. They don't wait for government to do it. They render this service to society. They fix their own potholes. And I said to him, no, 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 no. <laughs> yes, we fix our own potholes, not as a service to society because it's cheaper to fix the potholes than to buy new tires every week. But as I walked out of there, I realized that we have taken ownership of a lot of government functions. Healthcare, education, housing, 
repairing roads, safeguarding our communities, patrolling our areas by night. And I don't know any other society in the world who even tried it, what to say, while having the success stories which we can boast. So when we have an efficient government again, there will not be any society better to live in than this one, given the foundation we are laying, although it is through sweat and blood. Theodore, thank you for joining me in the trenches. What a privilege. Thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.